because community is something we create by sharing. Sharing our common interests. Sharing what we have. Sharing our hope for the future. Because we all need a place where we can feel safe and be loved. Because the challenges in Winnipeg are not impossible to solve and we must come together to solve them. Today on Because Radio, Youth Parliament of Manitoba engages young Manitobans in the political process. We visit the Treehearn Museum on a road trip. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker, 204 Neighborhood Watch, works towards a safer community for all. And we'll learn all about some of the interesting things to do in Winnipeg during the summer from a Winnipeg slice. All this and more on Because Radio. Hello and welcome to Because Radio, episode number 15. My name is Robert Zirk. And as always, I'm Sonny Pomolo. It's been a pretty great summer, wouldn't you say, Sonny? Absolutely. I'm totally looking forward to this long weekend as well. Today's show is themed around community. We're going to be learning a little bit more about 204 Neighborhood Watch. Uh, we're going to be visiting the Treehern Museum on our latest road trip and learn about some of the artifacts that highlight the community's history. We're going to be learning about uh, some of the interesting things to do in Winnipeg during the summer from a Winnipeg Slice. And today's foundation feature story is about Youth Parliament of Manitoba, which is one of the longest running model parliaments in the world, having held sessions for nearly 100 years now. The organization recently celebrated with its Speakers Night Gala, which featured a keynote from Dr. Annette Trimby, the president of the University of Winnipeg. And for our first story on the show, we'll be speaking with Premier and Chairperson Deborah Tsao and Deputy Premier and Vice Chairperson Abigail Teano-Pudwell to learn a little bit more about how Youth Parliament builds skills and helps young people become more informed about the political process. This week's Foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on community. Welcome back to Because Radio, Robert Zirk and Jeremy Morantz here with you today. And last week, Youth Parliament of Manitoba held its annual Speakers Night Gala Dinner, a community event where donors, alumni, members, and parents get together to celebrate and raise funds for Youth Parliament. Jeremy and I spoke with Deborah Tsao, Premier and Chairperson, as well as Abigail Teano-Pudwell, Deputy Premier and Vice Chairperson, just prior to the event to learn more about Youth Parliament of Manitoba. Abigail explained that Youth Parliament is an opportunity for youth to build skills and learn about the political process. Youth Parliament is an organization run by youth for youth where we work to teach them about the parliamentary process. And so every year we have a winter session where we bring around 80 youth into the Manitoba legislature and they get to debate six bills that we create ourselves. They spend months working on them and we teach them about that process, about how to vote, how to do amendments and how to learn about what it is that governs them. 
We asked Deborah and Abigail about their involvement with Youth Parliament and what inspired them to take part. So when I was 16, in grade 11, some members from Youth Parliament came to a debate tournament that I was at to present about this opportunity. And I loved debate and politics, and so I wanted to do something that was just fun for five days. But then after I got there, I was so struck by the examples of youth that I saw. I wanted to continue in that organization. I wanted to grow my own skills. Um, And ultimately it was the presence of those sorts of role models that kept me coming back. I have always loved public speaking. I've always loved learning about our world and the way that people think and their different perspectives all coming together. And when I first started university, I joined a debate club. And it just so happened that the president, the co-presidents actually at the time, were both part of Youth Parliament. And they recommended that I try it out, and I'm like, mm, it sounds a little funky. I mean, coming together over my Christmas break and talking about politics, but no, they told me it was going to be about all these different types of interesting topics about how we could change our world, and I thought, hey, I'm interested in that. And I had never really participated in politics, and so I actually did a spoken word poem as my first ever speech in the house, since every first backbencher gets to do an inaugural speech. And it blew my mind. I fell in love with the community, the atmosphere, and the opportunities that were available to me. Deborah and Abigail also spoke to why the skills that Youth Parliament teaches are more important than ever in today's society. People are becoming very aware of the power that lots of politicians and elected representatives have in the form of um, advocacy and awareness of the types of actions they can take, sometimes positive and sometimes negative. I think that the power of youth parliament is that the um, end result of what those policies can look like is substantiated by an understanding of what process it takes to get that type of legislation passed. So we take them through the process of legislation writing, through debate, through amendment, and finally through the vote. And I think that an intimate understanding of the um, mechanics of politics can better inform youth advocacy about um, political change they'd like to see It can help inspire youth to get involved in politics themselves. And it also develops tons of skills transferable to any area of life, like critical thinking, public speaking, and um, respectful discourse. It's important for every single one of us to take part in our civil duty. If we don't know how our leaders are legislating us, if we don't know how the process that we're voting on works, it makes it more difficult for our voices to be heard and for the changes that we want to be impacted into the world. And so just being aware of the way that that process works, being involved with our communities and learning about how we can make a difference with our voices and with this impact of politics is always important to learn. I mean, we've had alumni who are opera singers, who are in medical school, law school, and me, I'm in a communications officer. And so basically anyone from any background should know about the parliamentary process and will do if they learn at East Parliament. And I asked Deborah about the connections that form through Youth Parliament and what makes the community that forms so special. It seems funny that for an organization that holds this sort of five-day sleepaway camp that such intense deep bonds can be formed but it's true people come to our event and make friends that last a lifetime and I think that the reason for that is because 
they come and for many of them, it's the first time that they've been in a group of people who are as passionate about social change and politics as they are. They feel heard, they feel listened to, and they feel like they've found a group of people that they can really connect with. Um, I think that that's part of what keeps people continuing to come back. We also have Cabinet, which is a team of volunteers that helps us run uh, our event each year. And I think that through Cabinet, through working with each other in teams over the course of an entire year, some really deep friendships can form. And right now, I can say that Youth Parliament has been the source of some of my closest friends in my life. And it's the same with almost every single person I know who's come through the organization. Youth Parliament has had some notable Manitobans go through the program, some of whom have gone on to pursue politics, along with others who have become leaders in different areas of the community. Some of our notable alumni have included Lloyd Axworthy, former Manitoba and federal uh, politician, former president of the University of Winnipeg. Also Bill Blakey, former member of the Manitoba legislature. Uh, more recently, we've also had Nala Ayed, foreign correspondent for the CBC. She's done some fantastic reporting. Michael Champagne, who's a community activist here in Winnipeg, who founded Aboriginal Youth Opportunities. These people all came through Youth Parliament and they're all still connected with the YP community. And when we speak to them, talk about how YP informed their current career paths. Youth Parliament is open to students all across Manitoba and strives to be accessible to as many youth as possible to ensure that everyone can participate. So throughout our whole session, we have different ways to teach the youth about how to use the skills that you would need in politics. And so we teach them how a committee runs. We teach them how to take part in Robert's Rules of Order. We teach them how to create a piece of legislation and what the process would be for it to get passed or for it to not pass. We teach them how to speak to the speaker and why it's important for us to follow these rules. But also we make sure that every single person that wants to take part in youth parliament is able to. Whether it be a financial barrier, a public speaking barrier, we help write speeches if they need. We're always making sure that anybody who wants to take part has the ability to. We have been significantly expanding our financial aid programs over the last few years. Um, we have a mandate that any youth who wants to attend our event can attend if financial barriers are present, we will do everything in our power to remove them. So one specific initiative that we have started was formerly known as the Reconciliation Fund. We're renaming it to the Gary McLean Scholarship Fund after um, our former in-house elder. That's a fully funded scholarship for Indigenous youth, for example, to attend our session where we cover their registration fees, the cost of traveling to and from Winnipeg if they come from northern Manitoba. We um, cover the cost of purchasing parliamentary attire if they didn't previously own any. We cover the cost of purchasing food if that's what they need to. So I think that one thing that we've been doing is recognizing every possible barrier. It's not just the registration fee. It can be things like not having the right clothes to wear or not having the means to fly to Winnipeg. So um, we've been expanding those. We have other scholarships available for newcomer youth, for refugees, for people who just need a little extra help to come to our session. And I think that by removing those types of financial barriers, we've been really able to improve the diversity of people who come to session in the past few years. 
In 2021, Youth Parliament of Manitoba will be celebrating its centennial year. And to lead up to the milestone, it has launched a capital campaign with the goal of raising $100,000 for its endowment fund at the Winnipeg Foundation. We want to make sure that Youth Parliament is accessible, is stable, and is long-lasting. And one way that we can do that is by making sure that our finances are always able to cover all the costs every year. And this would severely help with that. The interest generated by the endowment fund each year will create enough income to actually cover the costs of all the registration fees for a winter session, making it theoretically possible to run a session that's free for everyone to attend and eliminate a lot more of those financial barriers. So for us, the endowment fund represents financial stability. We think it's a great opportunity for donors because the investment income generated each year grows. So one donation, you know, remains a donation every single year and because we think that it'll provide a lot more opportunities for us to give financial aid for us to build our operations for us to expand outreach in rural and northern areas the winnipeg foundation generously is going to match one dollar for every five dollars that we raise so that's very exciting every five dollars that you donate is actually six dollars so that is a really fantastic thing that you've decided to do and we're really proud of that partnership and youth parliament is always welcoming new participants registration opens in september so if you know of a young person who would be interested in the next winter session of youth parliament here's how they can learn more Throughout the year, we make multiple presentations at universities, at high schools, at debate tournaments, even community events. And so we, want, we encourage people to look out for those events. We'll come to you, but we'll also, if you want to find out information about us, go to ypmanitoba.ca on our website. We have videos, we have testimonials. You'll be able to find out a bit more information about what Youth Parliament is. Even our past legislation is there. But if you're more into Instagram, we've got that covered as well. So check out our Instagram at, at @ypmanitoba or our Twitter as well, and you'll be able to get in touch with us. Thank you so much to Deborah Tsao and Abigail Teano Pudwill for speaking with us about Youth Parliament of Manitoba. For Because Radio, I'm Robert Zirk and I'm Jeremy Morantz. Thanks, Robert and Jeremy. Up next, if you're looking for a fun day trip for your Friday, the Second Chance Car Museum in Treherne, Manitoba, is holding a grand opening and car show tomorrow afternoon, August 2nd. And while you're there, be sure to visit the Treherne Museum, which is right across the street. We'll learn more about it on this week's Because Radio Road Trip. Welcome to the Because Radio Road Trip. Today we're visiting the Treehern Museum in Treehern, Manitoba. Let's go. So we're here at the Treehern Museum in Treehern, Manitoba. I'm speaking with Sean and Lacey. Uh, thank you so much for the tour of the museum and for uh, for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much for coming. Really appreciate it. There are so many different collections and recreations of, of sort of what life was like in Treehern back in the day. Tell us a little bit about how this all came to be. 
So I guess it all came to be by the founder, Sandy Matchett. So he collected a lot of the artifacts. So if you go through the museum and you look at who donated what, you'll see a lot of it was donated by Sandy Matchett. And actually the period house here, he bought it in 1972 and he lived in it until 1976. And when he passed away in 1976, the house along with all of his artifacts was donated to the town of Treehern. And uh, that is actually what started the Treehern Museum. Tell us a, a little bit about the history of this house as well, because this house was moved to this location and had a history before Sandy Matchett purchased it. So the house was built in 1906 and it was home to many families as well as it was also a nursing station uh, which was one run by uh, Mrs. Dietrich. So it was that. Um, it was on the corner of Northwest Smith Street and Perry Avenue and then it was moved here. There's also a couple of other buildings that are that form part of the museum as well. Let's talk about the building that houses many of the collections and the most obvious thing as soon as you walk in uh, one of the largest gun collections in Manitoba tell us a little bit about what's all there and how that collection came about the uh, the buildings themselves came along with Sandy Matchett too he acquired a great percentage of those guns from the uh, town of Hargrave from their collection and they were closing theirs down and he acquired them and assembled them here and he actually built the displays too that uh, that houses. They must have come in here in the 70s, early 70s, 72, I would probably presume, along with the, the other building came at the same time that houses the general store and the bank and, and the dentist facility, all that came at the same time. And then there's also a variety of different collections. What are some of the other things that uh, people can find, some of the other artifacts from the town that people can find there? So we have over 120 rifles and 20 handguns. Uh, we have a large war display. Um, we have an Aboriginal display. We have a themed shed that has a general store, a Chinese restaurant, bank, schoolhouse, dentist office. And then we also have old washing machines, old farm tools. It's just, we just have a large variety. Uh, we have a period house, which show, shows how pioneers would have lived. We have an old blacksmith shop. Um, we have old tractors. We have an old truck. We just have a really large variety, which appeals to a lot for everyone. You just, you really never know what you're going to find here that interests you. So what's something, um, I'll get each of you to answer this, what's something that stands out to you as one of the most interesting items in the museum's collection? One of the biggest items I enjoy there is our blacksmith shop and it's continually changing. We have different uh, blacksmiths come in throughout the year and help us put on a display and they each have their own unique way of changing the shop around. But it is a fully functional shop with tools from the mid 1800s it's quite well displayed and it's operational. I don't know if I could pick a favorite. That's like asking a mom to pick her favorite kid, actually. <laughs> this is my second summer working here. So like, I obviously really like this place. Um, What's the first thing that comes to mind then, even if it's not necessarily a favorite? I would actually say the gun collection. We do, along with the gun collection, we do have books that explain the history of the guns if they were donated or even just explains what the guns were used for if we don't have a history for them. And it's, it's really just interesting to read 
what these guns could have been used for. Um, another thing would be the Treehorn Times artifact display. And I like reading through like the old newspapers and just seeing how the newspapers are very community based. Like anytime something little happened in the community, it was put in the newspapers. So it's really cool to read about old newspapers as well. And so, so neat that, you know, all those little slices of life are, are so well documented, right? Because that's not necessarily the case in larger cities. Yeah, for sure. Like bridal, every little bridal shower or just any time someone visited from out of town, it's in that newspaper. <laughs> When you walk into where uh, some of the the sort of recreations of of like the different shops and different places around town are, there's also a timeline that kind of illustrates, you know, point by point the history of Treehern. What are some interesting facts that you could tell us about Treehern's history? Treehern has had many fires. <laughs> that would be the first one. We get pointed uh, that pointed out a lot. The town name, I believe, uh, stands for Made of Iron, or it has the word iron in it. It's a Welsh name. It's a very large history. We have burnt down many times, but one big thing is is that we rebuild every time. And it's, it is kind of funny because when you look at the timeline, you do kind of see that it, it is the same area that burns, but people just come back and build again. And that's, that's kind of the small town thing is you just keep going you pick up the pieces and you just keep going the museums worked a lot with the uh, the tiger hills community foundation can you speak to that relationship and how the museum has benefited through their relationship with the local community foundation the uh, the museum itself has benefited greatly from the community foundation annually we get uh, grant money which helps us replace uh, aged buildings and helps us uh, change our displays. Prior to that, it was always a struggle, but now we have a a solid, steady, know where our income's gonna come from, and it's worked out really well. Upcoming with the new Heritage Trust Fund that we're looking forward to, it's just slowly in motion now, and we'll proceed, and we're looking forward to that, that income coming in too, to help us keep and maintain our buildings and our displays. If any of our listeners would like to come and check out the museum for themselves, how can they get in contact? Our phone number is 204-723-2621. And they can also reach us at treehermuseum at gmail.com. Our hours are um, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And we also are open uh, 1 to 5 on Saturdays. Before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to add to our listeners about the Treehorn Museum? This Friday, uh, the Museum Across the Road, which is the Second Chance Car Museum, is having their grand opening. And along with that comes the Super Run. So there will be cars from all over. Uh, I believe there's 242 cars for sure registered. And there will also be cars that aren't registered showing up as well. So that's cars, say, from Brandon, the States, wherever. Um, so they'll be showing up to show off their cars. You'll get to go into the very anticipated Second Chance Car Museum and look around and see what's going, what's going to be looking like. So that's going to be happening as well. It will run in conjunction with this museum here across the road. The uh, vehicles coming to town will be anything from 1890 vehicles to... I would presume 1976, 78, somewhere in that. That's the age group the vehicles are becoming. Just a wide variety in the collection overall. Yeah, wide variety. There'd be, I imagine, even a few motorcycles in the in the group coming too, along with a huge crowd of people. Very cool. 
Well, Sean and Lacey, thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today about the Treehurn Museum. Thank you so much for coming. You guys have a great day. Thanks for joining us on the Because Radio Road Trip. We'll see you next week, same time, different place. Thanks, Robert. Up next, I've been highlighting impact makers in our community as part of our Winnipeg Impact Makers segment. This week, I'll be speaking with Leela Castro from 204 Neighborhood Watch to learn about how they're working towards a safer community for all. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sunny Promolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Leela Castro, founder of 204 Neighborhood Watch, a community safety initiative run by members of the Filipino community here in Winnipeg. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sunny. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. So before we get started on the whole 204 Neighborhood Watch, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is Leela Castro? Lila Castro is an immigrant from the Philippines. Uh, My family arrived here in 2013. Prior to that, I was an IT practitioner, like uh, working as a project manager for for a long time in the Philippines. When I arrived here, fortunately, I was able to, to continue that career for another two years. And then when I already had the bandwidth, um, I decided to go back to to what makes me happy and the passion for volunteering. And uh, it's probably the reason why I'm here and you're talking to me right now. What made you want to start this patrol? What is your because? Before we started the 204 Neighborhood Watch, the Filipino community was actually uh, connected by social media. And it was a network that we started late 2015. And it grew really fast. By 2017, we were counting maybe 30 to 40 percent of the Filipinos were connected to that social media. And being one of the administrators of that group, we see what are the common sentiments, what are the common problems experienced by Filipino immigrants. And uh, there were two things that kept on surfacing, and those were the problems with security, safety, and another thing was the problem with jobs. In 2017, something happened that traumatized the community, where a 16-year-old girl in front of her house, which was supposed to be a place of safety, there were two men armed with knives who threatened her. So for someone like me, who is sort of, you know, looking after the community, I told myself that I cannot just watch and let these things happen. I know that there is something that we can do as a community to address the problem. So from that instance, it, you know, gave us an idea that we need to come together as a community. We need to be doing something. We need to be responding to these people who are traumatized. So we thought of starting the 204 Neighborhood Watch. So we made that call to that Filipino social media network initially, but through the news, uh, the word has spread to the multicultural community and uh, eventually we were joined by, you know, people from other cultures as well. When you first started, you had a little help from the Bear Clan, is that correct? That's right, Mm -hmm. yes. So So 
actually, it was a great help from the Bear Clan because at the time we were thinking, how are we going to do it? How are we going to start it? And um, what is it going to be? So it, it was Bear Clan that gave us an idea that this is what's the gap or this is what's needed in the community. And that is the community being composed of immigrants, of Canadians, Indigenous people. So these are actually people from different locations. They need to reconnect. So that's putting the community to how it traditionally was, where you know your your neighbor next door, and they know you. And then you start connecting with them, and you start looking after them, and then they start looking after you. With Bear Clan, they've been uh, very passionate about their advocacy, doing wonderful things for the community for many years with Tofor Neighborhood Watch, we said that we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Why not use the methodology of Bear Clan? And we did. And then eventually we diversified because we had to expand our advocacy. So you can say that the Tofor Neighborhood Watch is another flavor of Bear Clan. Awesome. So you originally started the watch with just six members, mm-hmm. and now you've grown to about what? Now we're, I'd say, 50 active wow. patrollers. We don't really go out as 50 people. At one time, we go out as 15 to maybe 20 people because we don't oblige anyone to be present. If you have the time and you want to make a difference for the community, then just show up. With all that said, and you mentioning, you know, you're not really putting too much of that ask. Uh, how do you explain this growth and why do you feel it's important for people to do this type of thing for our community? For the immigrant community, I believe one thing that we left behind with migrating to this place is our support system composed of our friends and our family. When something traumatic happens, we feel very alone. We don't know who to go to. We feel so confused. And we are not spared from those unfortunate circumstances. The desire of the members of the community to fill that gap so that the person will not feel alone, I believe that desire is what prompts or motivates the person to show up in patrolling or to be part of the group. Absolutely. And the work you all do for the community is definitely amazing. Is there anything people can do to help uh, to for Neighborhood Watch. Absolutely. We call on everyone. And I'd like to emphasize that the group is not just for the Filipino community. This is for for everyone. It was easy for us to start in the Filipino community, but right now we definitely are a multicultural community. In order to see our announcements of the things that we do, our activities, if you have Facebook, do connect to 204 Neighborhood Watch Incorporated Facebook group. That's where I post our announcements if you don't have Facebook, you can still email me at lilacastro.ca at gmail.com. And I'd like to speak more about 204 Neighborhood Watch being a multicultural community because, in fact, we just recently helped a neighborhood set up its own patrolling group, and that's oh. the Wolseley Watch. We don't look at color. We look more of how can we help the community, what can we bring in. What can we do, especially to those who are traumatized, to those who are vulnerable? That's amazing work. I had no idea about that one. What is your end goal with 204 Neighborhood Watch? What kind of difference do you hope to make in the long run? And what would you like to see happen in the next 10 years after all is said and done? So initially, we were thinking it would just be a patrolling group, 
a venue for people to come together to be there for the vulnerable. But we are expanding. We are now speaking about other advocacies as well because other organizations have uh, started connecting with us. Just early this year, International Justice Mission connected with us. So we are now definitely helping them push the advocacy against online child pornography. Uh, this is something close to the heart of the Filipino community because the the most number of victimized children in the world are actually in the Philippines. Wow. And uh, one of the countries with highest number of perpetrators is actually in Canada. You know, our advocacy is to put an end to the demand. So IJM touched base with us to help them. Canadian Blood Services also connected with us because we need to have the availability of blood supply from the immigrant community. So Tofor Neighborhood Watch is encouraging everyone, especially from the immigrant community, to donate blood. And I wanted to, to see more of Asians, more from other countries, because it's going to do a lot of help when the time comes when that type of blood is going to be needed or that type of them. So, And there's another group that connected with Tofor Neighborhood Watch, and that's the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. Oh. And this is something that we talk a lot to the immigrant community because as immigrants, we tend to view the dementia condition differently. We tend not to talk about it. If there's a condition in the house, we tend to hide it. And that actually puts the people that has the condition at risk because of the nasty winter here. Mm-hmm. So we tell the immigrant community that there's help. There's actually help for the person with the condition and the caregiver of that person. And we encourage them to, you know, to open up about it, to, to go to Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba and see what benefits are available for the family. So a lot are connecting with us, which is really making things uh, more exciting for 204 Neighborhood Watch. We see ourselves uh, getting busier in the next 10 years, and the key to sustain that is to have more volunteers connecting with us and helping us so that there's something we can do to make this uh, a better place for the families in Manitoba. 100%. So those looking to volunteer, make sure you check out 204 Neighborhood Watch on Facebook. And uh, I would like to give a thank you to Leela and the entire 204 Neighborhood Watch group for sharing their story of impact. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Promolo, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Sunny. Coming up next, producer Jeremy Morantz will be joining me in studio to tell us all about the fun things to do in Winnipeg this summer, which were featured on his radio segment called A Winnipeg Slice. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined by producer Jeremy Morantz, who has been filing stories for Because Radio uh, throughout the summer and has also been working on stories called A Winnipeg Slice. Jeremy, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about what is A Winnipeg Slice? What are some of the kinds of stories that you would cover for A Winnipeg Slice? 
Well, first of all, I've been uh, very happy to take this project on, to take on the Winnipeg Slice segment. A typical story you would find uh, on a Winnipeg Slice is uh, an event or a celebration or just a gathering of any kind in Winnipeg locally um, that we want to tell you about. It could be an ongoing series such as the Winnipeg Fringe that gets featured or uh, it could be a one-time thing like this public art announcement uh, I covered. Great. And so tell us about some of the stories that were highlights for you um, since you started producing a Winnipeg Slice. Well, overall, it's been uh, it's been an incredibly interesting and uh, more of an eye-opening experience than I initially imagined it would be. But s- some highlights: the public art announcement that I that I mentioned, I had the pleasure to attend at the Forks. It was basically the announcement of three public art pieces that are indigenous themed by indigenous artists and i got to speak with the project curator dr julie nagam she told me about uh, how the project came to be and i got to ask her a little bit about the details julie you're the curator on uh, all these public art pieces can you tell us how you got started uh getting the ball rolling on all of this Sure. It was a preliminary conversation I had with Negan Sinclair, who's been doing a lot of work here at the Forks. And so he was really interested in thinking about some public artwork here. And so because my experience and work is in Indigenous visual culture, he thought I'd be a great person to kind of take that up. Uh, We actually had a public call. So people had applied to think about um, uh, what kind of examples they would want to do here at the Forks. And I ended up uh, selecting or curating uh, Val Vlint, uh, Jamie Isaac, and Casey Adams. Another highlight was attending, this is it's so fun, the In Riel's Footsteps interactive tour slash play at the St. Boniface Museum. Talk about feeling like a tourist in your own city. I know that's a cliche, but that's like literally exactly how I felt. It's basically a journey backwards through time. Your tour guides are all dressed up in pioneer-esque clothing and they're talking all old-timey and they basically take you on a guided journey through the cemetery in front of the St. Boniface Cathedral. The cathedral kind of looms and hangs over you in the background throughout the whole thing. And you really get to feel like you're there during the history that they're teaching you about. You learn all about Louis Riel and all the street names that you know today, like uh, Taché and Marion, like all named after these historical figures. And it's it's something that I would definitely recommend any Winnipeg or Manitoban takes part in. Uh, and it's again only happening during the summer i got the chance to speak with one of the actors in the play for the slice and she let me in on the process of balancing the historical and educational elements of the play with the fun and entertaining elements of the play i'm now here with bailey palomar who's one of the actors in the in riel's footsteps play slash interactive tour at the St. Boniface Museum. I just had the tour and uh, it was really entertaining and a lot of fun. I wasn't expecting a love story to be interwoven. It, uh, you guys really do a good job of making it entertaining. So how do you strike that balance of um, creating entertainment while also having the historical elements in there so people walk away feeling like they learned something? Well, I think it's a bit of a balancing act. As the teacher in the play, I'm often the one talking a lot about history and the other characters, Gertrude and Fanal, they will interject with fun facts or they're just joking around. And also even in our interactions with each other, even in a dialogue, that's another way to create that balance. So it's not just me giving all the historical facts. And also I think the love triangle story also helps um, add a bit more interest to the play as well. So you have historical facts, you have a love triangle, you don't know where Fanal is going to dig this hole. You have all sorts of fun things going on as well.
Sounds like a lot of fun and a really cool way to learn about Winnipeg's history. And speaking of learning, um, I'm sure that there's a lot that you've learned um, through getting to check out different events and programs that are happening uh, in our city. Are you uh, surprised by anything in particular that you learned uh, during your time doing Winnipeg Slice? I attended, uh, if you've never heard of it, it's called the Hermetic Code Tour at the Manitoba Legislative Building. And it was truly incredible. You feel like you're in an episode of some sort of forensic CIA show as tour guide Dr. Frank Albo takes you on this code-based tour throughout... The building, we've all seen it, you know, countless times. We've all driven by it or walked by it or biked by it. But to actually take a closer look at the ledge for about an hour was really remarkable. And you do learn a lot. The tour guide, Dr. Frank Albo, spent a decade of his life trying to crack the code that the British architect left in the building as he was designing it and building it. And you discover all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, did you know that the Ark of the Covenant is on the roof of the Manitoba ledge. I didn't know that. Well, wow. neither did I until I took the tour. And did you know that, uh, well, I don't, maybe spoilers for the tour, but the golden boy is actually Hermes. All kinds of crazy stuff like that. It's one of those things that you've lived in this city your whole life and you can't believe you didn't know some of that stuff about the legislative building. So I got the chance to ask Dr. Albo what inspired him to spend that whole decade of his life trying to crack the code within the ledge. So I'm standing on the steps of the Manitoba Legislative Building with Dr. Frank Albo. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's delightful to be here. Can you tell us why you were interested in the first place in cracking the, the code of this building? What sparked that interest for you? Well, it happened by sheer accident. I was driving down Memorial Boulevard and out of the corner of my eye, I spotted two Egyptian sphinxes on the roof of the building. And I simply parked my car, looked up and uh, tried to answer the riddle of the sphinx. It doesn't get any more romantic than that. Uh, you think of it in historical context, and that's how it was for me. I was trying to deal with deciphering the riddle on the roof of our building, which remarkably no one had ever documented before. Can you give us a little insight into what the process was behind figuring this all out? I, you said during the tour you spent a lot of sleepless nights trying to figure it all out. Indeed. I spent uh, four graduate degrees and 10 years trying to get into the mind of the dead British genius who built it. It took him seven years to build it and me 10 years to decipher it. Another event that I learned about that I surprisingly had never heard of before, Doors Open Winnipeg. Have you you'd heard of it before? Yeah, that's where buildings all across the city, um, some of which the public normally doesn't have a chance to access, you know, they open the doors and you get a chance to take a tour and, and learn about some of the, the city's more interesting buildings. Yeah. So I was happy to learn about that uh, program, having never heard of it before. So I actually sat down with Cindy Tugwell, who's the executive director of Heritage Winnipeg. Uh, and she told me all about Doors Open. Doors Open Winnipeg um, is our signature event, Doors Open Canada. There's events all over uh, Canada. Um, everybody picks their weekend. We're pleased to say this is our 16th annual. And of course, the big thing that I think is really important for all socioeconomic backgrounds is it's free. Anybody can go and learn about our city and not only our architecture, but our social history and the amazing stories behind why we became one of the fastest growing cities in all of North America. 
um, before the First World War. So I think that people get a real sense of um, entertainment and education when it comes to why are, is our built heritage so important and why do we want to promote it. And Doors Open goes beyond, of course, the downtown. It's citywide. Um, and it's just um, a fabulous way. It continues to grow, which shows us that Winnipeggers have an ever-increasing appetite to want more. A Winnipegger can drive by a certain building every day of their life on their commute and not think twice about it. Talk a little bit ab about why this event highlights the significance and importance of, of those buildings. Well, I can use myself as an example. Not a big fan of history while I was going to school. And when I started with Heritage Winnipeg, I thought, well, I'm just here to protect the old buildings. And then I realized the huge connection between understanding um, social connectivity is so important for all of us to have in our own city. And I realized when I started learning about the history of the buildings and the people who built them and the businesses they built up and the kinds of things that Winnipeg was well known for, um, for grain exchange, um, for all of the different transportation hub. It started making me feel like, wow, I come, I'm a Winnipegger. And I started having that kind of understanding of what our city was really about. What's maybe the biggest thing that you've taken away from producing a Winnipeg Slice overall? I'm endlessly thankful for the opportunity uh, and the platform that Winnipeg Slice has given me to explore everything that this city has to offer during the summer. I mean, we all know during the winter things can get things can feel like they're dragging on a little bit, but Winnipeg in the summertime, I have learned more than ever this summer. It is a never-ending well of opportunities and experiences to get out there and see something new or do something interesting. I don't want anyone, I don't want to ever hear anyone tell me that there's nothing to do in Winnipeg during the summertime because the biggest thing I've learned is that there's always something to do and not just something to do, but something very interesting to do. That's very true. So thank you very much, Jeremy, for joining me today and sharing with us all of these wonderful stories, all these little slices of everyday life in Winnipeg. Happy to talk about it. That's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. 
And if you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Or you can also email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for Because Radio. And I'm Sonia Promolo. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great weekend.